Hi. Welcome to Your, your grandparents, grandparents Did What? This is our podcast. Yes. You're Rachel Storniello. And you are Maggie Walker. Thank you. Welcome to our show. Well, <laughs> welcome Listen, to- Dear listeners. Welcome to the basement once again. <laughs> How does it sound, everybody? This is our new high table. It's actually a There's been some dresser microphone issues going on that I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's not- It's like the microphone getting hot and not- yeah. So sorry, everybody. We're two idiots. (laughs) We're doing our best. We are doing our best. Um, This is our second season, episode seven. Yes. We're going to talk about... Moral panics. Moral panics. Yes. I'm super pumped on this one. We should pick some moral panics to chitty chat about. Yeah, I think moral panics can be... I mean, I'm, are you wondering how is this related to the history of parenting? I think that it's hugely related because I mean, how is anything? Whatever. This is our podcast. We <laughs> I can love do whatever your, the fuck we want. I love every time I question anything about this. I'm like, Rachel, is this okay? You're like, this is our podcast. We can do what we want. <laughs> we can. <laughs> it's true. But I think that this is so like tied into parenting 100%. because it's one of those things that like when it is happening and like yeah. we were in. And not so moral panic, an actual panic yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah. But like, just think about how those things affect the way you parent your children. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like, what was the most like a moral panic that we've experienced since we've had kids? Like, oh, since we've had kids? Yeah. I don't know. Like, could you say screen time? Well, that was QAnon. Like, QAnon. Ooh, you're going to get your... <laughs> no, I'm not going to talk about QAnon. Fucking people. But yeah, I mean, like, but, yeah. think about how this can yes. kind of tie into parenting. And so um, that's kind of what we're here to talk about, kind of yeah. the history of some of them, a couple that we found interesting. Yeah. And I also think this is something that there's like space to revisit again, which I think is fun. Yeah. There's, so. a, there's just so much here. And totally. It's really like interesting to, to hear about. So kind of switching up a little bit. We have a donation station for this week. It is the Narol Pro Choice America. Uh, yeah. We just, there really wasn't anything that was like necessarily related to moral panic. So, <laughs> Uh, really right now, like reproductive rights activists and reproductive justice activists are really, um, they're in the weeds. It's not good. So if you got some extra cash to spare. Yeah. If it's something you're interested in donating to, um, their mission statement is to support and protect as a fundamental right and value a woman's freedom to make personal decisions regarding the full range of reproductive choices through education, training, organizing, legal action, and public policy. Yeah, I mean, I think the, like, legal action public policy is, like, a really, really important branch right now. Yeah, that's what so, this, that, yeah, that's what so, all the donations yep. will hopefully be helping. Yes. So we appreciate you guys um, ever donating. It's just, you know, it's you came up with this in the beginning of our first season. The donation station. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, like, for those who are coming on and are new listeners, it's kind mm-hmm. of one of those things. I feel like we talk about some pretty heavy topics on yeah. here. And you had said it, like, let's put our money where our mouth is a little yeah. bit. Like, you know, when we're bringing up these topics that are – um, you know, shining a light on, you know, women's rights or reproductive rights yeah. or whatever it may be. Yeah. It's, it's good to just kind of toss out there like, hey, like there is people out here still doing the work. Yeah. People that are like much smarter than me, like we're just dipping our toes into something and like moving on to the next subject. Yeah. There's people that are literally dedicating their lives to yeah. fighting for rights that like a generation ago we didn't have or yeah. – we're hoping that a generation behind us, in front of us, whatever, yeah, has. So if you listen to a particular episode and it makes you real mad. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to make you really mad today. If you have big mad feelings, go and give some. We try to usually get our donation station to be something that is supportive of the topic that yeah, we're but doing. Really but this wasn't... week really wasn't pertinent. I mean, I, yes, my like second topic is a little – it's – intersectionally tied but right. only tangentially Listen, i don't actually talk about abortion this is our podcast rachel yes, we, we can, can do donate whatever, whatever we the fuck we want <laughs> all yeah, right I, people okay let's, ready to uh, jump in yeah let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with rachel's funny moral panics moral panics we got one funny 
One sads. Real sads. Okay. Okay, so um, I'm going to start by defining what moral panic oh, is. Because we have finally learned <laughs> that from the top, we should get get to this. Describe yes. what we're talking so about. So this is from Wikipedia, but I think it, uh, Wikipedia. God bless Wikipedia. Yes, thank you. Thank you. So a moral panic is a widespread feeling of fear, often an irrational one, that some evil person or thing threatens the values, interests, or well-being of a community or society. It is the process of arousing social concern over an issue, usually perpetuated by moral entrepreneurs and the mass media, and exacerbated by politicians and lawmakers. Okay. Very good. So, you know, I think there's some things that sort of like hit some of these things and not others, especially as you're talking about like moral panic really is like a thing defined in the 20th century because of like mass media and stuff. Yeah. But I think there's, I mean, I obviously go, I go into something that's not in the 20th century and then something it is. So let's hear it, babe. So we're going to start. Um, Have you ever heard of a penny dreadful? No. Okay. So I'd heard the term. I literally did not know anything about it. Okay. So you a little history first. So, um, after the invention of the printing press in 1440, books were a sign of wealth. So okay. literacy rates were fairly low until the beginning of the 19th century, just because like the printing press, while it was better than like illuminated manuscripts, was still really, really, really expensive to do. Yeah. Um, so anyways, okay. So the 19th century brought about sweeping change in manufacturing, and this included improvements in papermaking and the printing press. So you could just physically make books quicker. Wow. And this contributed to the increase in education. More books means more people can read those books. I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, For some, this was not a good thing, but caused concern about the destabilization of the social order. The upper classes were concerned over who had the rights to information and what kinds of information should be available. Big mad. (laughs) Yeah, big mad. They were like, "Um, these poor people just need to not be learning. Right? Thank you. So with the rise in industrialization, people had more time and money for leisure. Leisure. Leisure? No, leisure. Leisure? No. Leisure. Leisure. Leisure? Did you taste? Am I British? Did you taste toaster? Are you having a stroke? It's because I'm going to bed. Okay. So <laughs> this is the rise of the penny dreadful. Penny dreadful. The okay. penny dreadful or penny horrible, penny awful, or penny blood emerged in the 1830s as, um, and its height of popularity was in the 1860s or 1870s. Okay. And these were serialized stories that were published weekly in eight to 16 page installments. And each one would um, unfold over the course of months or years. So just like a continuing story that would go on and on and on. They focused on the exploits of detectives, criminals, or supernatural entities. And the stories were like soap operas, including things like kidnappings, poisonings, larceny, bigamy, revolution, etc. Et and they were printed in like the weekly, monthly papers? No, you would like just, well, you could just like buy them oh, like okay. as like a, basically like a leaflet. I see. A pamphlet. Okay. Interesting. And each issue featured an illustration that was part of the appeal. So I'm going to show you a couple of them. Oh my god, I love this. It's so so cool. this is Varney the Vampire um, or the Feast of Blood. Okay. So like you can see that. So cool. Sorry, that picture's kind of small. This is Springheel Jack. So you can see that weird naked? naked man. It looks like it. Sweetie Todd, which is actually a character that okay. we still have. Yeah, I've heard of that before. Like murdering someone. Okay. And then there's Black Bess, Knight of the Road. So it's all these sort of like very sensationalized. Okay. And it's like an obsession. Victorians like an obsession with crime and true crime. Just like some of us today. (laughs) 
Anyways, um, this is my way to talk about true crime, basically. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to become a true crime podcast. <laughs> yeah, it is going to be now our new um, avenue. Yes. <laughs> Old-timey true crime. <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> Maybe we could do a parenting crime podcast? <laughs> uh, not parenting, uh, crime, parenting crime episode? Ooh, parenting crime. Mm, okay, let's put that on the back burner. Shabby okay, Ramsey. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the term penny dreadful comes from the price, only a penny. Or installments of things like Charles Dickens novels. Because a lot of those novels would come out in the same thing, these installments. So you would have to like keep buying, keep buying, keep yeah, buying. Yeah, no, buying. I love it. Um, would cost a shilling, which is 12 pennies. Okay. So like Seems 12 pricey. times the price. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, by the 1850s, there were up to 100 publishers of these penny fictions. In the 1860s and 1870s, more than a mer- million periodicals were sold a week. Oh, my so God. How many people were, yes. What a, what a hot commodity. Yes. These were the British, this was the British first mass-produced pop culture craze. Wow. Yeah. Initially, they were read by men and women of all ages, and but they and they eventually became aimed at children, specifically boys. Hmm. By the nineteen or by eighteen twenty, nearly half of the UK's population was under twenty, which seems fucking Wait, crazy say that to again? me. By eighteen twenty, nearly half of the UK's population was under twenty. Holy so shit! So it's like probably high mortality rates and high birth yeah, rates, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. Yes, the Penny Dreadfuls were influential since they were quote the most alluring and low priced form of escapist reading available to ordinary youth. Okay. The new generation of literate children turned to penny dreadfuls and escaped from rote learning and later repetitive tasks of industrial work. Um, and at this point, the average age people started working was eight and a half. <laughs> I know. But they were also like getting more education. Like they were actually learning how to read. They were not illiterate like generations before yeah, them. Yeah. But they were doing like, you're doing, le- rote, like I said, rote learning. And then a lot of the work you're doing is industrialized so it's literally the same thing over and over and over again so it's total escapism yeah this is like you're like wow vampire i can have my own thoughts for a second like out of my own like little yes yeah constructed life that's been given to me yes that's super interesting yes (laughs) just leo coughing up there (laughs) (laughs) um so this is the moral panic part. Okay, of it. yeah, I'm like, where are we here? <laughs> so I'm just giving you the background. I love that background. It's very interesting. We're to in me. the moral panic. So by the 1870s, concern was growing over penny dreadfuls leading children to a life of crime and vice. Parents were worried about the influence these stories had on their children. Many people thought that the answer was to criminalize these pamphlets. Oh my god, stories. Um, and this is from an 1895 issue of Pub- Publishers Circular. Quote, coroner's juries have condemned it and coroners themselves have regretted that the new law does not interfere to suppress it. In a criminal trial, which has just concluded several specimens of this gory and sensational stuff were in evidence, and the titles were certainly suggested of dark and ruthless deeds, we are quite sure it is not in the interest of the nation that the rising generation should be nourished on the literary on the literary fair enclosed within the covers of a penny dreadful. Ooh. The police had begun to raid the offices of publishers of penny dreadfuls and prosecuting the publishers for stocking them under the Obscene Publications Act. Wow. I mean, I don't know what that is. I left obscene it there. Obscene Publications yes, probably Act. Probably because there was like probably violence like, in it. probably it. literally like created that law to specifically probably. go after <laughs> these penny dreadfuls. So in 1884, the vote had been extended to most British men. Okay. 
Um, the press liked to point out that the children who grew up reading these stories would now be electing the rulers of the nation. Okay. From the Pall Mall Gazette in 1886, the Panagevils were, quote, the poison which is threatening to destroy the manhood of democracy. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're putting yeah. a lot of weight on, like, a this little is... vampire book. Yes. That's crazy. Yes. Literally. Tr- truly. Going to destroy the nation. Oh, my God. The press lawyers and clergymen tried to link the literature with juvenile crime, blaming them for violence, robberies, and suicides. Hmm. Um, and this is from the 19, this is from the same uh, publisher's circle from 19, I'm sorry, 1895. Having mm-hmm. I mean, that same. You're um, having my dyslexia. Yes. Number <laughs> dyslexia. Um, no wonder we find ourselves, uh, find our newspapers full of boy and girl suicides. I don't know what the difference between boy and girl suicides mm. is and child criminals. It's almost a daily occurrence with magistrates to have before them boys who, ha- uh, having read a number of dreadfuls, followed the example set forth in such publications, robbed their employers, bought revolvers with the proceeds, and finished by running away from home and installing themselves in the back streets as highwaymen. This and many other evils the penny dreadful is responsible for. I mean, no. No. I mean, crime, like, exists and also, like, yeah. it exists in a society where, like, you have, like, extreme wealth and extreme poverty. Like, those people are going to. And also, if you have 50% of your population yes, being under, under 20, 20 yeah, who are, like, most likely in, to. Right. Yeah. Like, you have these. Old, general, older people are like, I don't got time I ain't for got, that. Yeah, I'm too tired. But when you're all the, I mean, think about when you're young, you think you're invincible. You have yes. all these, like, idiotic ideas. 100%. And. Now you're like, oh, God. <laughs> no, thank you. I'd rather <laughs> be poor. Stay off my lawn. <laughs> Um, newspapers, oops, oh no. Newspapers and magazines would give countless examples of boys who, after reading the Penny Dreadful, had robbed their employer or embarked on some other criminal enterprise. So, here are some of the crimes that the Penny Dreadfuls were blamed for. Okay. In 1889, two boys, 11 and 13, stole a pistol, a dagger, and a terrier. (laughs) A terrier? Like a a dog? Yes, like like a Lucy. (laughs) Like a little Lucy doggy. And when they were caught, their parents said that the boys' minds had been turned by reading these penny dreadfuls. So crazy. Um, In 1892, two boys, 12 and 14, were arrested with a revolver, 100 ball uh, cartridges, a traveling rug, and a handwritten document saying, directions for skedaddle, steal the money, go to the station, and get to Glasgow. Get boat for America. On arriving there... (laughs) Go to the Black Hills and dig for gold. Build huts and kill buffalo. Live there and make a fortune. <laughs> Welcome to America. Here's our buffalo. Pew, 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 pew. I mean, they're traveling rug. Like a... I, don't, I don't know what a traveling rug means. I don't know if that's like something you wrapped stuff in. I'm thinking of like a little like. like I said, I'm first page of Google. Genie and Aladdin. Like oh, little like. like, like um, yes. yes. I can show you the world. Yes. <laughs> These two boys. These two boys. <laughs> Um, in 1893, a 15-year-old stole 25 pounds from his employer and then took the train to London with the intention of sailing to Australia. His father had said he found a novelette entitled, quote, The Adventures of the Brave Boy and the Bush Rangers in the boys' room. So, hmm. I mean, the Bush is the, like, Australian yeah, outback. Yeah, yeah, So, um, when a 12-year-old servant hanged himself in 19, uh, I'm sorry, 1892, the jury delivered a verdict of, Quote, suicide during temporary insanity induced by reading trashy novels. <laughs> I know. It's terrible. <laughs> it's maybe not like a life of servitude and like poverty or mental health. 
Right. Yeah. Like being eight years old and forced to work mm-hmm. in a fucking factory. Well, a servant working in someone's home. Oh, he was a servant. Yes, but Ugh. still. Still. Yes. Ugh. Um, in 1894, a 21-year-old farm worker shot himself, and the coroner suggested that the um, 550 penny dreadfuls found in his room had a, quote, unhinging and mesmerizing effect on his mind. The jury agreed, quote, deceased committed suicide while in an unsound condition of mind, probably produced by reading novelistic literature of a sensational character. I mean, no, if you're suicidal, no. like that's completely no. different than, no. I mean, it's, it's like the, it's, it's correlation it's, yeah, rather it's than causation. Co- correct. Yeah. And also like, if you're literally producing a million of these a week, like, of course you're going to find them in people's rooms. Right. It's one of those things that you're like. It's like if you went into my house if I got murdered tomorrow and you'd be like, she has broccoli in the fridge. Right. Like, like everybody has that. Yes. Like broccoli means, yeah, right. Yes. It's like. Yes. So um, on July 17th, 1895, the decomposing body of a woman named Emily Combs was found in her home in East London. Her two sons, Robert and Natty Combs, aged 13 and 12, were charged. Mm. When the police searched the house, they found a collection of penny dreadfuls. When the coroner's jury delivered its verdict, it stated, quote, we consider that the legislator should take some steps to put a stop to the inflammable and shocking literature that is sold, which in our opinion is too many a dreadful crime being carried out. The murder of Emily Combs brought the national panic over penny dreadfuls to a fever pitch. Wow. After Robert- So they're suggesting that the kids killed their mom? Well, they did kill their mom. Oh, they did kill their yes. mom. But they're suggesting they killed their mom because, because of, of the penny yes. dreadfuls. After Robert and Natty's arrest, a St. James Gazette journalist was assigned to analyze the contents of every cheap boy's weekly that he could lay his hand on. He read 36 different titles, some which boasted a circulation of more than 300,000, which is like a, lo- a crazy amount. Mm-hmm. Um, he stated that it brought out the, quote, the fundamental instinct of savagery inherent in all of us. It disgusts, but it attracts. As one reads on the dis- Discuss, uh, as one reads on, the disgust lessens and the attraction increases. The Combs boys, he concluded, with their intelligence scientifically developed at the expense of repairs, had been wound up to regard murder as a highly superior kind of lark by a study of the worst kind of gory fiction and cutthroat newspaper. Hmm. So, okay. It was easier to blame the penny dreadfuls than dive into why a 13-year-old would attack and murder his mother with a knife. Wow. Yeah. He had had anxiety about leaving school um, for a job in the shipyards. His mother was volatile and threatened the boys violently. His father was absent, and he had wanted to protect his younger brother, Natty. Mm. So, I mean, it's really is a sad story. Yeah. Like, who knows what actually happened, but... He must have been just so scared yes. out of his mind and just yes. felt like there was no other solution. And when you're, again, when you're 13, like yes, you're you're not making your decision making skills are yeah, like terrible. Your, your frontal lobe is not fully developed. And there's like, not a good process of like thinking in the long term. Like this is how it's always going to be. And like yeah, I mean so I don't know how to be a Victorian boy through the trees no. kind of a thing. It like, may, maybe it was how it was always going to be for him. But right, and it sounds like he was being pushed into a job yes. that he didn't want to go to, yes. and he had no other choices. Yes. And if he felt like he was protecting his younger brother and he was going to be doing a job, like, he was yes. leaving. Maybe yeah. he was doing it to kind of like sacrifice himself for his yeah. brother. Ugh. I know. God. Sorry. This was supposed to be a funny one? <laughs> well, it is kind of funny that all these people are panicking about this. Oh, man. Uh, by the 1890s, some publishers tried to dissociate themselves from the Penny Dreadfuls. Their solution was to introduce an alternative type of publication, the Penny Delightful. <laughs> 
mean, seriously, I think the problem here is not with the fucking poor no, teenage no. boys who are clearly having no. a hard time in what year was this? Like the 1400s? This, this is the 1800s. The 1800s. This is Victorian <laughs> England. My bad. You know me in time. It's just all of But I'm like, come on. Like, if you have, like, yes. this audience who no one's to, like, have some sort of, like, escapism reading, and you're like, ah, oh, like, let's... They're all being all crazy and suicidal. Like, just make it fucking better. Yeah, like, but, like, they were obsessed with crime, yeah. and they were obsessed with blaming it on. This was, like, like the, the OG, like, murderinos oh, here. <laughs> um, This new Penny fiction promised clean, healthy, and moral fun. The outrage over the Penny Dreadfuls prompted a major transformation in the children's publishing industry. Ah. And there was a great national interest in providing the working class with quality fiction. Which, like, the end of the 19th century and beginning of the 20th century, there is, like, a revolution in, like, fiction. Yeah. In, in the UK and in America, like, whatever. So, you know, how much that fed into that. Right. Some, at least. The moral panic over Penny Dreadfuls was not unlike panic over things like video games or rap music. So true, yeah. Youth culture will always find a way to scandalize the conservative adults around them. That's I mean, a great, yeah, great. I mean, truly, like, yeah, that's. I mean, we still see it today. 100%. With hundred percent. I mean, oh my gosh, like how crazy it was, like when rap music first I, yes. came out. Don't you remember, like, like literally, like when we got like the explicit, yes, yeah, warnings on stuff. Yeah, or, like, oh, video games are making kids violent. No, like violent people maybe seek out these things, but there are plenty of people that play violent video games that go home and are like, "I love you, family. <laughs> great for you." Yeah, no, you know? for sure. I remember, like, when I was I forget what CD I had bought. I think it was the what is the M&M maybe? <laughs> and I'm sure that had an explicit warning. It did, it. but yeah. I bought it at like Spencer's or something. I don't oh, know. You felt so cool. So cool. <laughs> and then I brought it home and it was in my bedroom and my parent, my mom came in and was like, you can't have this. And I was like, yes, I can. I bought it. <laughs> Get out of my room. <laughs> we had like, mom. mom, no, you didn't knock even. And we had this huge blow and so she took it and then i was like no, i'm just gonna go buy another one yeah, <laughs> so i like, had my secret one i put it in like a yeah. fucking um yeah, natalie merchant like, yes. cd case <laughs> like, where's my reba mcintyre cds i was like me and this savage garden cd are over here doing nothing weird <laughs> yeah. don't worry about don't it worry mom about it. and look i was so nice i didn't murder anybody or do no. anything crazy there you go um, that was a good one. I like that. Yes. So, Never had heard of it, but I I really it's enjoyed a little short about one, it. and now we're going to a little longer one that's okay. going to make you. I need a, little... a moment. Take a break. Okay. 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 So, um, now we're going to talk about uh, welfare queens. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard the term welfare queen? I feel like I have, but I don't know anything about it. Okay. So we're going to get into it. Okay. <clears throat> Scared. So <laughs> it's not good. It's bad. <laughs> so bad. So um, let's talk about welfare. Yeah. Just. Like starting with welfare. Yeah, let's do it. So um, as we discussed in um, our early childhood education episode, the mother pensions, Mm -hmm, those mm -hmm. are, that's an early form of welfare. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, um, standards to receive these benefits were very strict. They included things like citizenship, quote, a man in the house law, which barred women from benefits if there was a man living there and other behavioral standards. Mm. So you had to meet like certain standards. You had to be worthy of Mm. these things. Yeah. Um, These standards set up a long lasting American tradition of distrusting women on welfare. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Starting in a bad place. (laughs) (laughs) Um, as early as 1933, newspapers fixed on the, quote, parasites who were, quote, scamming these benefits. Mm. Modern day welfare originated from assistance during the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. 
Although this laid out the groundwork for anti-poverty efforts in the U.S., benefits were racially coded. Mm. Um, the 1935 Social Security Act specifically ex excluded domestic workers and agricultural laborers, and those were both industries that relied heavily on black men and women. Mm. Um, states were also able to determine eligibility for welfare. And by 1939, the Aid to Dependent Children program caseload was 80% white, despite the disproportionate burden of poverty on black families. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so following the beginning of the civil rights movement, the media's portrayal of poverty and its relationship to race shifted. In 1964, 27% of the photos and stories about poverty in the top three weekly newspapers featured Black Americans. And by 1967, that number rose to 72. Mm. So it's like a visual representation of what poverty is. Right, right, so, right. Yeah. So you're associating Blackness and poverty. And as we've discussed before, poverty is like a moral failing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, not as a moral failing. It's perceived as perceived moral as, yeah. <laughs> I do not think that. <laughs> uh, by the time the term, quote, welfare queen came to be used, 64% of Americans felt that welfare benefits make poor people dependent and encourage them to stay poor, which is 100% still, still. I was going to say, yeah, I feel like that's still uh, certain people's perspectives. To a T. It was in 1974 when the media found the face of the welfare fraud. 12% of the population lived below the poverty line. Inflation had hit its highest rate in decades and the economy was in a recession. Okay. okay. So now I'm going to introduce you to Linda Taylor. Here's okay. a picture of her. She's very fancy. I like yes. her coat. <laughs> well, it's problematic for some people apparently, but we'll get there. Okay. So um, basically, did you know before that there was a specific woman who was called Welfare Queen and who became the embodiment of the perceived waste of the welfare system? No. Like it, that term had been bandied about before a little bit. Welfare and there was, Queen? Yes. Okay. But she became, she crystallized all of that into a person. Okay. So she like held a lot of the stereotypes, I guess? Yes. Okay. And she just is like, and then she became that person and then she was used. Like the scapegoat for it. A hundred percent. Ugh. So the term welfare queen was coined by either George, George Bliss of the Chicago Tribune or by Jet Magazine um, in their coverage of Linda Taylor. So a little bit about Linda Taylor. She was born Martha Louise White in um, 1926 in Goldust, Tennessee. And her mother was white and her father was black. And at this time, sexual relationships between white and black people were illegal and punishable by prison time. Mm, so crazy. just imagine her life. Right. And it's, it's usually like, her mother being white right like yeah like i feel like if you had if your mother was black and your father was white you could kind of be more i mean I'm, I'm sure that was incredibly difficult too because of the perceptions but like yeah there's like have you ever heard like the one drop rule no this is all like jim crow whatever but like basically if you have one drop of black blood in you you're considered black oh i kind of had a feeling that's where you're going yes. with that but i was hoping so it, it doesn't was... matter if it's like your little great 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 yeah. grandfather if they can discover it you are black right, it does right. not matter how many generations of norwegian or whatever right good white people quote unquote Ugh. yeah okay gross um and her family were poor itinerant sharecroppers and she was often an outsider in her own family due to her race. Mm. Um, so Linda gave birth to her first child at the age of 14 and would go on to give birth, 
birth to four more children. Mm -hmm. Uh, She moved to Oakland um, and quickly acquired a criminal record, mostly due to local laws that were meant to control, quote, loose women. Mm. She did attempt to find legitimate employment, but her lack of education and her race limited her employability. Yeah. So um, at this point, she would start to use different aliases. And news reports indicated that she um, used as many as 80 different names. Wow. And she would alter her appearance to change her racial identity from white to black and even Asian, Hispanic, and Jewish. Like, if you look oh. at pictures of her, she does, like, there's some where I'm like, she looks very white and mm-hmm. some she looks much more black. Or, like, you could, yeah, like, depending, like on depending on her wig or wearing, makeup, yeah. 100%. Or perceptions of those things. Right. Using these aliases, Linda did commit welfare fraud. She showed up in Chicago aid offices describing hardships that she hadn't experienced and children she didn't have to get expedited checks from the aid to families with dependent children, AFDC program. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just the cash welfare program now known as the temporary assistance for needy families. Mm -hmm. In September 1974, the Chicago Tribune ran a story about her uh, welfare fraud, which launched her into the public eye. Yeah. United Press International ran a story in more than 11,000 newspapers across the country declaring that for Linda Taylor, welfare checks are a way of life. Mm. And in his book, there's a book about this woman um, called The Queen by Josh Levine. Um, He wrote, Taylor's mere existence gave credence to a slew of pernicious stereotypes about poor people and black women. If one welfare queen walked the earth, surely others did too. Right. It was kind of like, yeah, if there's one, cris- there's tons. Uh, yes. Right. Yes. Um, the amount that Linda actually took from the AC- AFDC program was much less than claim. Press reports stated that she received tens of thousands, but in her 1974 indictment, the total was uh, for $8,865.67. Okay. Despite this, Cook County spent at least $50,000 to convict her. Oh, my God. And in 1977, she was sentenced to three to seven years in prison for stealing public aid money and lying about it to a grand jury. So she was caught. I mean, she did this, but... (sighs) So uh, they spent all this money to convict her and then jail her and right costs all, more yes. to like yes like I the mean, crime did yes. not fit the punishment in a no. sense like the punishment costs 100%. more than the crime like yes. they could have just yes they, it seems that it was a choice to make it be this huge media scandal 100 kind of like already she was that person as you're gonna see she yeah. becomes this person that is then used right to like vilify 100 percent these yeah. women particularly women right yes. yeah um What is even more disturbing about this focus on her scamming of the welfare system is that the crime she did commit or probably committed, uh, she was never prosecuted or convicted of. Hmm. So she has like a slew. I mean, this is not a great person. Some of these crimes are um, she befriended a sick woman, uh, Patricia Parks, who died under suspicious circumstances in her care. One of her husbands, Sherman Ray, was shot by someone she knew, and she had taken out two life insurance plans shortly before he died, mm. which we all know. Everyone you taking a watched. life insurance policy out. <laughs> Listen, you're, you're about to murder, murder someone. someone. Take a life insurance policy out. Just wait. Like just a couple, a couple years. couple years. Don't be so Dude, greedy. Just wait. Just wait. Or just, like, take it out sooner. <laughs> not that. This, podcast Listen, this is not a murder advice podcast. <laughs> Definitely. Not a murder advice podcast. <laughs> 
Okay. <clears throat> she also collected on a life insurance policy for an older woman, Mildred Markham, who she then appeared to have mistreated and held against her will. Hmm. She also kidnapped more than one child. She hmm. took the daughter of a friend, trying to rename and keep her. She took her niece, threw out all her clothes, and moved into a new home. And there is evidence that she kidnapped a baby from a hospital in a case that was never officially solved. None of these crimes fit the narrative that was being promoted by the media or the men in power, right. though. Yeah, they she wanted- was literally never like. I think she was like suspected in some of these. She literally was never. They just wanted yep. to get her on the welfare 100%. scam because mm-hmm. that's the one they wanted to like yep. put out. They were like, okay, wait, but yep. she did all these other things. But let's not even. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From the same book, The Queen. She was the fall guy for everyone who'd lost his job or had a hefty tax bill or was angry about his lot in life and the direction of his country. She was someone it felt good to punish. Mm-hmm. Linda Taylor had much in common with the typical welfare rule breaker as a bank robber does with someone who swipes a piece of ca- a penny candy. Mm-hmm. Linda's conviction set off a wave of other fraud prosecutions and helped further shift the public opinion. Assistant State Attorney James Piper was put in charge of a special welfare fraud unit. Um, And in the first year, 241 people were indicted. Hmm. Piper told the Chicago Tribune, I think the welfare queen, Linda Taylor, brought about uh, about change in thinking. Millions each year are being stolen and we decided to do something about it. Millions. Millions. Really? Highly doubtful. The Chicago Tribune encouraged its readers to help hunt down these welfare (gasps) cheats. Yes. That's awful. Yes. Um, A 1978 poll of Illinois voters found that 84% ranked controlling welfare and Medicaid fraud and abuses as their highest legislative priority. Mm -hmm. That's fucking crazy. That's crazy. The most important thing. The most important thing. Wow. Between 1970 and 1979, welfare fraud investigations increased 729% nationally. Yep. Holy shit. So, into the weaponization of the welfare queen. Mm. While governor of California, Ronald Reagan, another fucking asshole, (laughs) (laughs) called welfare, quote, a cancer eating at our vitals. Oh, my God. Reagan. This language is... Fucking... The language these people use around this, it's so harmful. So harmful. Because a lot of people were just getting their regular amount of welfare. Their tiny, regular amount of welfare. That was still probably not even enough to, like, live a legitimately decent, like, life above poverty. Nope. Um, at the um, And beginning with his failed 1976 presidential campaign, Reagan started using the story of Linda Taylor to speak against welfare. In a 1976 campaign trail speech, Reagan said, In Chicago, they found a woman who holds the record. She has 80 names, 30 addresses, 12 Social Security cards, and is collecting on veterans' benefits on four non-existing deceased husbands. And she is collecting Social Security on her cards. She's got Medicaid, getting food stamps, and she has a collection of welfare under each of her names. Her tax-free cash income alone is over $150,000. I mean... It's bullshit. Was it really? No, no. it was eight thousand dollars. That's yeah. what they. She that's what stole. she was. Yeah, that's what she was held on. Because you, you because they're not getting a lot of money. Yes, she went by different aliases. She did like these sob stories. Listen, she figured out a way to kind of like but she, by and get. But it's not a lot of it's money. It's not a lot of money, no. and they're making it seem yes. like she like is making every American that's paying taxes like yes. 
A hundred percent. Fund her. Yes. I don't know. That's why. So the, when you said you love her jacket, like the fact that she wore like these yeah. clothes that seemed like nice, people were up in uh, arms. Yeah. About. Right. They wanted her to look more poor. Yes. Yeah. Poor. Right. Because if you're poor, you don't deserve nice things. Right. It's like the same thing when you hear people like complain, like, oh, they have a cell phone. Right. They have. Oh, they, they have their the nails TV. done. I'm like, okay. They want to get their fucking nails done. Yes. It's, also, is, is like $40 a week really going to bring these people out like, of poverty? Listen, like, Absolutely no. fucking not. And guess what? Let like, people live. They're allowed to have a little self-care. Yes. Like if you – just yes. because you're like getting some sort of assistance doesn't mean that you no. have to sacrifice things that no. make you happy and bring also, you joy. Also, on the flip side, if they're poor and walking around looking poor, quote unquote, yeah. then you perceive them as poor and sloppy and right. undeserving also. Right. So it's a lose-lose. It's a lose-lose. Right. Like you can do no right. Yep. Like you either you either are looking not the – quote, quote, part. Yes. Or you're spending money on things that you shouldn't be spending money on. Yes. Yes. Okay. So problematic. So Reagan never identified her by name or race, but with all the national attention she had received, he did not need to. Right. Uh, 60% of AFDC's caseloads were non-black, but poverty in popular media had become associated with black Americans. Mm -hmm. Reagan told a story that catered to the white Americans' racist ideas about public benefits and lazy black people. Mm -hmm. So like that convergence, that sweet spot right there. Yeah, yeah. In 1981, while pushing for welfare reform as president, he told Congress an even more exaggerated version, stating, in addition to collecting welfare under 123 different names, she also had 55 Social Security cards, and that, quote, there's much more of this type of fraud that anyone realizes. Hmm. Reagan used this example of welfare queen to uphold the idea that people on welfare were too lazy to work and relied on public benefits paid for by the, quote, upstanding citizens. Hmm. Eventually, Congress would pass a $25 billion, tw- pass $25 billion in cuts to programs that help the poor. Hmm. An estimated 408,000 households were cut off from AFDC while millions more saw their benefits reduced. Ugh. It's like a, That's a lot of amount. people. Yes. Um, by 1989, 64% of Americans felt that welfare benefits make poor people dependent and encourage them to stay poor. Hmm. And in in 1996, the welfare reform bill um, in Congress under Bill Clinton replaced the New Deal era aid to families with dependent children with a temporary assistant for needy families. This set limits on the amount of time a family could remain on welfare, set work requirements, and had other strict requirements. Mm. Um, Within a decade, the number of children living in poverty in this country more than doubled. Mm. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Yes. So today, Republicans are still claiming that we can save $30 billion by, quote, eliminating loopholes, waste, fraud, and abuse. It's just not true. I mean, that that's, I mean, it just seems like a number pulled out of the air. Like, how? It's, it is. It's like bullshit. And like, okay, it, it's bureaucracy. And so I'm sure like you could save money if you weren't in a bureaucracy. But like, that's what exists. Like, yeah. you work for the government, I think, go through the government. Like, things are slow to process and therefore can cost more money. Mm-hmm. But like, most people are not getting a lot of money. And like, mm-hmm. most of the quote fraud, like they said, was like, really, it's like, errors clerical errors yeah. people getting paid more than they should have it's mm-hmm. not people going in with 420 different aliases and 72 no. different cars Listen, there's always going to be like a bad egg in every single system that you have and to kind of villainize like an entire yes. population of people yes. that truly need this to keep yes. food on the table to keep lights on in their yeah. home because one bad egg is mm-hmm. is just 
despicable, I think. Yes. So, <clears throat> the lasting effects of the moral panic over the welfare queen. Yeah, I feel like it's still probably, yes. you're going to tell me it's like. Oh, it's going to be. Mm-hmm. You, you think you're sad now? <laughs> I am sad now. <laughs> Sorry, the word said that. I am sad now. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Back to sadness. <laughs> Uh, the lasting legacy of the welfare queen is seen in things like in our shift of terminology from safety net to entitlement. Mm. There is a continuing narrative that people on assistance do not work, when in reality, most recipient, recipients work low-wage jobs and oftentimes more than one job. Yeah. Uh, welfare, welfare reform has created a system that believes the worst of families who need assistance and furthers the link between poverty and morality. Yeah. Currently, 15 states drug test as a part of their screening process for TANF. Yeah. This is due to the perception that people seeking assistance, and in particular people of color, are more likely to be drug users. And these policies have proven to be extremely wasteful. Mm-hmm. For example, Missouri has spent over 330000 to test 40,000 TANF recipients and to find a mere positive 48 cases. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And like, what? Okay, like, is drug abuse? I bet if you if you I think like if I remember this correctly, like if you test the general population, yes, people are not more likely to be drug users in, in this, right? Yes. No, absolutely not. Those are drug users. Like that runs the gamut from like shooting heroin, which right. like okay, whatever. And like, I, it's not a moral failing to shoot heroin to smoking weed. Well, that's what I mean. Like, it's you. There is a difference between smoking weed and doing meth cigarettes <laughs> i mean if i, I could have had a so. meth cigarette i know in college still interested in a meth been cigarette. Like, i'm out of it yes still not bad. i'm very sleepy these days <laughs> i mean i can like add meth cigarette can't be that bad for you right like one a day Just keeps one. the doctor away thank you who needs an apple <laughs> 15 states prohibit families from receiving higher benefits if a new baby is born. This stems from the idea that poor women are having more children and remaining unmarried to receive more assistance. No. Yeah. Um, There are just a few examples. These are just a few examples of the hoops that families needing assistance have to jump through despite no evidence that they save the government any significant amount of money or help lift any of these people out of poverty. 25 years after welfare reform was passed, the conversation about assistance still focused on around who is deserving and under what conditions. Yeah. Um, the labor of primarily of women as mothers um, has never been re- uh, recognized for its economic value. Capitalism was founded on free labor that women, particularly women of color, provide as mothers and caretakers. And the lack of paid wages for this work is a large part of the continued subjugation of women. Yeah. Ongoing conversations about work requirements do not consider the parenting work as a worthwhile for of a yeah. wage. I mean. Yeah. We're still here. Yeah. We're just, I feel like we come, every episode we seem to come back to this <laughs> like, one yeah, this conversation. Is, it's still bad. <laughs> still very bad. Um, and to end this, I wanted to read a quote from, I don't know if it's Candy or Sandy. I'm sorry. It's X-A-N-D-I. I don't know how you would say know. that. I'm not Z- sure. I would say Zandy. Zandy. Mahone's article, The Non-Consensual Identity Politics of the Welfare Queen, um, because this woman says it better than I ever could. Let's hear it. Okay. 
Uh, why are false narratives about poverty like the welfare queen created and perpetuated? Simply put, the welfare queen, as other false narratives spanning two centuries, manifested out of a desire to keep capitalism alive. The welfare queen is not an isolated incident. It's embedded in the history of patriarchal and racist control of black and female bodies and the capitalistic devaluation of reproductive labor, as well as the vast and ever-present conception of poverty poverty as a moral failing capitalism would not have survived without free reproductive labor without the plunder and exploitation of bodies and without the perception of poverty that blamed poor people for their own existence our willingness to accept criticize and blame the welfare queen narrative on its indeed um found uh, sorry Blame the welfare queen narrative is indeed founded in various systems of oppression, uh, but perhaps it's also born out of our own narrow conception of what we deserve from the government, the state, society, and each other. The idea that a person, let alone a Black woman, could be so blatantly reject uh, what many of us so readily accept challenges our own imaginations. Uh, the prevalence of welfare queen image dares us to consider what poverty actually means and how it's created. Mm, wow. That's so I mean, powerful. I was like, try to like some of these, I was tried to, you know, like things like try to like sort of process and like regurgitate yeah. it for And I was like, I, I can't fucking say that. No. Yeah. That was really good. <laughs> I mean, it sums it up. It's, it's yes. it touches on every single point that is so, I mean, it's, it's so embedded. It's so ingrained. It's still yeah. happening today. Yeah. Um, and just, yeah, just villainizing folks yes. who need help and, yes. and you know. And, yes. Without, like, this bigger picture. Yeah. Like, it's it's easy to say that these people on assistance, like, they're taking advantage of the system. But, and, I mean, and it's just not demoralizing it's just needing not assistance. Like, like, okay, my – when my grandma got divorced, um, she had seven children. The youngest was 13. I mean, she, they were – most of them were out of the house. She got divorced after being in an abusive relationship mm-hmm. with my grandfather um, and had to get on welfare. And I remember hearing stories of her going, she had to go to like do certain things, be certain places because they have all these requirements, mm-hmm. right? If you, you can't just be like, I need this I assistance. I need help. Please help me. You have it's like, to well, do, yes. Yeah, they make it impossible. And she said she spoke up because she was like, no, this is like, these women are not bad. They need help. Yeah. I need help. It should be. Like, so the alternative was to stay with a man that had abused her for all those years because he had an alcohol problem. Like not to lay my family's business all out there like that, but But it's true. She's not the only person who had that experience, right? Like that's probably a lot of of women's experience who use welfare, like getting out of an abusive relationship or, um, you know, leaving, uh, you know, trying to get their lives together in a way that they need help doing so. Yes. And there's cycles of poverty and abuse, right? So right. it is hard to lift yourself out of poverty and it's hard to lift yourself out of abuse. Like if you saw that at home, that's what you accept yeah. as like normal. Right. And if you're, you don't have good coping mechanisms or you don't have education or understanding around it, like it is easy. Like I get fucking pissed off at my kids, yeah. but I have like a way to sort of like head people that raised me that broke that cycle, whatever, that I can say like, okay, you don't know, like I have screamed to my kids. I don't right. like love the way I've talked to them sometimes, well, but nobody's I mean, perfect. Yes. Right. <laughs> I never laid a hand on them. Right. Because but there's these cycles that folks get 
in. And, and it's so easy. It's and they so, can become so tied together. Yeah. And like if you're working a million jobs, you're not making money. You're stressed about your living yeah. situation. Like your children are not safe at home. You don't feel safe at home. You don't yeah. feel safe with your partner or ex-partner or whatever. You don't know how to have, you don't have like good forms of birth control. Like, yeah. It all goes back to, I feel like whenever we have conversations like this, it's like if we just had better education yes. for folks from the start yes. to be able to give everybody an equal starting yes. point where everybody yeah. is um, at an equal playing field where they have the, mm -hmm. the same education, you know, opportunities, same yeah. job opportunities. But yeah, I mean, the same education also is... doesn't mean like literally sitting in the same classroom. That means like no. secure housing, like food. Right. Yes. Being able to have like a safe yes. schooling environment, being able to go home yes. to a safe environment and then having every... access to the internet. Like, yeah. Yes. Like when we did virtual yes. last year, there yeah. were so many students in our city that had to go sit in like parking lots yeah. to be able to do, yeah, not only just in our city, but everywhere yeah. to be able to access reliable internet, to be yeah. able to even do the shitty virtual school that they were giving Meanwhile, us. Meanwhile, I'm down here like, my Wi-Fi is so slow. My I, know. <laughs> I know. Yes. That was great, Rachel. So, I really enjoyed learning that, even I though it made me have one of these days big mad feelings. I thought I was supposed to be the funny one. You are supposed to be the funny one. <laughs> Last couple of weeks, you've been the big sad one. I don't know. Maybe I'm like, I've been watching a lot of like Bake Off, so I don't think I'm mentally in a good place. <laughs> oh, that's not good. You've no. not told me this. No, I've been watching like You're a back lot on of Bake Off. Yes, a lot of oh, reruns. Oh, honey. Okay. So. Well, we need to talk about this later. We did have a Bake Off intervention. <laughs> this is when you know Rachel's not yes. well. So, like, maybe just in a bad place mentally. But, like, uh, I also feel like these things, like, they just seem to be like boom, boom, boom. Like, we've talked about these things, like, hit so hard right in a row. Yeah. So, well, it's just crazy to think that that, you know, moral panic, you know, with the welfare queens, yes. like it, it, you know, the, the ripples of that are still 100%. rippling today. Yes. And so yes. it is really interesting, I think, to hear and learn like the origin story of so many of the narratives that we're still hearing today, because yeah. who knew, you know, I mean, and a way for like us to all deconstruct those things. Like right. we talked last week, I think it was about like becoming more radicalized as yes. we get older. Yes. Like you're doing the opposite of what our parents did or a lot right. of people in our parents' generation did. Yeah. Um, and if you can really be like, oh, fuck, this is a whole thing. Yes. This is not just like one-off. This yes. is not just like a thing we can change by like being nice to each other. Yeah. You know And also I mean? like how some of these like things that have been given to us, like these ideals, are not even like – yeah, original ideas yes. like they are they're recycled so, they're bullshit. recycled bullshit that yes. just continually keeps yes. getting thrown down our throats yes. like every like you know yes. it's like a rerun cycle every generation we come up with a new way yes, to villainize to, yes. and make it seem yes. like we so okay ready for a break everybody <laughs> let's all go take a little quick break let's all go scream into a pillow real quick we will be right back Okay, so now we are on to my portion. It's going to be, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> I am should, we, should we trigger warning? Are you about to trigger warn? Like, is there? Yeah, I will definitely add a trigger warning. This is, so I'm going to talk about the satanic panic. Um, in this talks about child abuse, sexual abuse. Um, so yeah, if that's going to be difficult for you to listen to, we will see you next week. Yes. <laughs> there is no <laughs> skip ahead a little bit. It is just the whole thing. Um, so getting into it before we talk about what the satanic panic actually was, I have to talk about the book, the now discredited 1980s bestseller book, Michelle remembers. 
Okay. This is the t- this is the picture of the front of the book where Michelle remembers. That looks like a horny um, mm-hmm. romance novel. It says the true story of a year long contest between innocence and evil. What? Yes. So it was written by Michelle Smith and her psychologist. Oh, so it's like a. It's supposed uh, to be oh, a okay. true story. Uh, okay. Yes. Okay. It was written by her and her psychologist, Lawrence Pazender. Um, their relationship started as professional Uh-oh. patient doctor, but they did eventually marry. Oh. They both left their spouses for each other. Oh, no, Maggie. So they I'm sorry. S- wait. I'm sorry. Don't leave. Don't. Don't marry your therapist. No. <laughs> Number one with a bullet. Not a good look <laughs> if your therapist is trying to marry you. Mm-hmm. So they don't talk about their personal relationship in the book about like being attracted to each other, but it's written like a fucking romance That's novel. That's what I'm saying. looks like a romance novel. Yeah, it's very romance novel-y. Like the way they describe, and it's also awkwardly written in like the third person. Like they're not like, I saw Dr. Pazner. It's like Michelle Because it's Dr. probably Pazner. trying to like give it a more credence. Credence? Credence. 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 Right. Yes. But like the way she describes him in the book yeah. is like very sexy and like she describes him as like. they're horny for each other. Right. So. Like there's something that person's looking at their shoulder like <laughs> we all fuck later. <laughs> so in 1976 during one session together Michelle tells Dr. Pazder she feels like she has something to tell him but she can't remember what it is. Um, he then puts her in like a deep hypnosis. She screams for 25 minutes straight and then she starts speaking. <laughs> Usually like a take <laughs> I'm I'm your cocktail. oh my god that literally just went up my nose you <laughs> just snorted gin. everything <laughs> for me not to spit that on this microphone i'm sorry <laughs> she screams for two imagine 25 minutes straight of screaming. an adult screaming adult screaming and okay, then I'm she sorry. started speaking <sighs> in the voice of a five-year-old oh no from there they spent over 600 hours doing quote recovered memory therapy Mm. Where she allegedly remembers satanic ritual abuse oh. at the hands of her own mother and others who were all in a satanic cult in Victoria, Canada. So, okay. recovered memory therapy was a catch-all term for a controversial and now scientifically discredited form of psychotherapy mm-hmm. that utilizes unproven interviewing techniques to help patients recall previously forgotten memories. Okay. They use hypnosis, guided imagery, and sometimes hypnotic and sedative drugs to help patients allegedly recall forgotten memories okay so this was not like a thing in therapy before this kind of came to the forefront in this book so this was not people are like literally inventing this correct yeah this was not like a commonality thing and it, it, it became more popular after this book basically um so the first alleged ritual attended by michelle incurred in 1954 when she was five years old she describes at one point during this ritual, animal sacrifice occurred and someone sewing onto her body the tail of a pig. The book ends with a description of Wait. an eight. Yes. Somebody like literally like surgically attached to her. But wouldn't there be physical evidence of that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Just hold that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the book ends with a description of an 81 day ritual in 1955 that supposedly summoned Satan himself. Mm. It in it in this. Um, I mean, to be fair, we are in hell. So. <laughs> Maybe it did work. <laughs> this Sorry. is the bad place. <laughs> so it involved the intervention of Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and Michael, the Archangel, were apparently at this ritual. Oh. Um, and during this, the Virgin Mary um, removed her scars that were received throughout the year, and I it mean, also blocked all the memories of as her As a abuse. biblical scholar, I would like to say, <laughs> I don't think 
one of the Virgin Mary's powers was removing scars. I do not believe so either myself. This is, like people who are like schizophrenic. Yes. Like have these delusions of grandeur, right? Like this is like, right? Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. I mean, this was, okay. So during the rituals, Michelle was allegedly tortured, locked in cages. She was sexually assaulted, forced to participate in various rituals. She witnessed several human sacrifices and was rubbed with the blood and body and the blood and body parts of various sacrificed infants and adults. So this is what she remembers during this recovered memory therapy. Okay. So after the book was published, critics attempted to prove or disprove any of the accusations. I mean, how can you prove that the Lord Mary herself, (laughs) whatever, came down and healed your scars? There was no evidence ever found of Michelle having any long absences of school or signs or symptoms of such abuse. I mean, she claims that she was in this 81-day ritual and during like the period of time she should have been in yes, school yeah, during yeah, that yeah. time and there yeah, was and no absences. I was, yeah. I think I was like, well, 81, 81 days. days. Yeah, it's multiple months. But also like she also has two siblings who deny the entire thing. Um, her father denied every accusation in the book. Um, Michelle's mom, who is one of the main accused in the book, died before its publication. So, like, obviously I mean, I, I they keep couldn't hung up her. on generally like Virgin Mary appearing and healing your scars. Like, mm-hmm. Right. 81 days in school. Like, okay. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Okay. In the book, she also talks about a car crash that happened at one of these rituals. Um, but no one can find any police report or newspaper articles about any car crashes around the time that she claimed that it happened. So, mm-hmm. I mean. It's all bullshit. Yeah, it's all bullshit. Um, to many, it seemed this book was written at a time where this sort of storyline was very popular in the yeah. media. Like. Sensationalized. Sensational. Like, child kind of. Mm, mm-hmm. Just was. We'll get into a little more why it was kind of, why it took off so much. Um, To me personally, it feels like Michelle was definitely in some sort of need of therapy. Like clearly perhaps Uh, there was something going on there. Yeah, fucking thing. And it seems like this Dr. Pazner kind of took advantage of her and spun it into a storyline that he knew itself. That's so gross though. He, I'm sorry. So clearly, I understand like probably with this recovered memory, it's all like these, um, like people are in suggestive whatever and then like following these leads whatever Mm -hmm. someone who's like in a mental health crisis or has like long-term mental health issues right and then they get these ideas planted and they can spin off and a whole new thing and that's why this recovered memory therapy was probably married her yeah he ended up marrying her and published they both left like they're they were both with like other people during their whole writing and publication it was after it was published they went on like a book tour together and i'm like oh can oh. we like actually fuck now and they like oh, got me maggie you don't think they were fucking oh, of before. course they okay. were but okay. they were like yes legally fuck <laughs> <laughs> so this book was super popular like number one bestseller like being sold in every grocery store end cap like it was <laughs> high key successful yeah oh god okay um so- she was even on oprah as a guest like that's how Speaking of Oprah, she was, you know, that's yeah. like how you know you've arrived, I feel like. I mean, I do feel like <laughs> I've missed time. out on never being a guest on Oprah. <laughs> Speaking of delusions of grandeur. <laughs> um, so on the basis of this book's success, Dr. Pazner developed super high media profile. He was giving lectures and training on satanic ritual abuse to law enforcement. Um, and by September of 1990, he acted as a consultant on more than a thousand satanic ritual abuse cases. So this wackadoodle was literally being called in to like He's be making console. a fuck ton of money off this. Yes. Yes. It's important to note that Dr. Pazner coined the term satanic ritual abuse. This was not a thing before this mm, book came out. Okay. Um, not to say that it was that child sexual yes. abuse was yes. not a thing. Or like satanic ritual. Or stuff. satanic. But like, yes, that yes. that that is a like 
term and a yes. gen- like a concept. In the so same way. the reason I'm kind of talking about this book at all is because we can kind of like pinpoint the start of the Satanic Panic with, with the release okay. of this book, and mm-hmm. it's like gaining popularity yes. with this kind of recovered memory mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Like this is kind of when um, that blueprint, the Satanic Ritual Abuse, like it it started planting the seed and especially the fact that it was like coined as like this is a like a biography (laughs) like true story yes uh kind of a thing so several other things were contributing factors to the start of the satanic panic we at the same time we have the establishment of the fundamental christianity Mm -hmm. churches and the development of this moral majority yes um that's in the 80s yes yes, which is a prominent american political organization associated with the christian right and the the republican party so speaking of reagan (laughs) assholes Um, we also have the rise of the anti-cult movement, which accused abusive cults of kidnapping and brainwashing I mean, there, children and teens. Okay. But first of all, is there a pro-cult? cult, <laughs> pro cult. <laughs> we also have the appearance of the Church of Satan and other explicitly satanic groups, um, which kind of added a bit of, quote, truth to the existence of Here, satanic okay, cults. But here's my question, and you may not know the answer to this. Now the Church of Satan basically is like, hey, we're using your idea of, like, religion to, like, fight for the rights of like normal people and like right. abortion rights. And like, I think what the church of Satan is doing is like really amazing and awesome. Cause they're right. basically like, Hey, you're going to use your form of religion. I yeah. also use that. Yeah. Was it different I don't know at this what point? It was. Yeah. I don't honestly know. Like, or is what? it just like generally the concept of people saying church of Satan? Yes. That's what the I believe. Right wing Christian Christians are like, what? Yeah, I, okay. I think it was just the existence of it. I don't know that it was necessarily anything more than just, like, people were like, hey, I'm... I mean, because now they really are, like, religion is a joke and we're using yeah. this, like, as a as a tool to get I what we want. I think that at, the, at this point of time, I think it thing. was, like, the seeds of it. Like, I okay. think it was it was yes. not as um, polarizing as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have the development of social work and child protection at the same time. I mean, people are just, like, in general starting to give a shit about kids in the 1980s. Yes, yeah. <laughs> As like a entity. as like a thing, yes. <laughs> um, and we also have the popularization of post traumatic stress disorder, and so you're kind of like these are just it's kind of the building blocks. We're getting yeah. all these things happening at once. Um, you also have the implementation of mandated reporting laws for teachers and healthcare workers. That's that started in the eighties. Yeah. So before they were just like, "Hi, hey, listen, that's your business." Turn your head, yeah, yeah. Oof, I know, not oofa, good, oofa. <laughs> not great. <laughs> Um, and this was also a time where there was a fear that society was getting less godly, right? Like you were getting away yes. from yes. everybody being like hella religious. And yeah. this was also a time of there was like increase of like rock and roll and rumors that if you played a song backwards, it would like tell you <laughs> some satanic <laughs> message. <laughs> so it was suddenly very helpful for people who were trying to push that mm-hmm. rhetoric when this book came out to be like, see, this yes. is why Satanists yes. are so bad. Yeah, like it's not just rock and roll like, is is yes. satanic, and look it's at what it's doing. To. They're they're yes. abusing children. Yes. Um, and which this- is like okay. By the way, to talk about QAnon again, this is the same bullshit. These people like the QAnon people, like oh, we have to protect children that are sex trafficked. Like it's just a bullshit excuse to sort of have this like we are morally mm-hmm. better than you guys. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um. Some of the, quote, research at the time on child sexual abuse suggested a causal relationship between 
child sexual abuse and women going into the workforce, you kind of start seeing this like anti-feminist spin on it as well. Yeah, that's so tied in too to like the the moral majority religious right. Yeah. So like as women are going into the workforce, they're less available to their husbands, which could then in turn increase their sexual abuse from fathers to young girls. So you started seeing this in the media as well. Like, oh, like, hey, if you don't fuck your husband enough, he's going to fuck your daughter. <laughs> Basically, that's like what the quote research was saying. I cannot. You know, it was awful. <laughs> Everybody take a breath. Scream. Does everybody have their pillow? No, Grab it. There's a pillow. <laughs> Scream into it. <laughs> it is mass. There's pillows over there. We're going to get them. We're all going to take a moment and scream into them. Okay. Okay. We're back. Um, okay. So the first big case we see in U.S. history to really stir this into a full-blown moral panic is the McMartin preschool trial. Mm-hmm. So do you know about this I at all? do. I do. Okay. I had heard I, about it, but... It's like something I feel like I... Like, as you say it to me, I probably am like, oh, yes. Okay. But I don't remember much besides, like, it's all bullshit. Yeah. So big ups to um, my one of my favorite podcasts, You're Wrong About. They did oh, an episode yes, on yes. this. Sarah Marshall, thank you. You did great research. I listened to it this week in preparation. <laughs> Michael Hobbs, if for some reason you ever end up listening to this. Let's tag him on the gram. You're, an, ins- you're, an, ins- you're an inspiration <laughs> to me. <laughs> okay. So the McMartins were a family who owned and ran a daycare in Manhattan Beach, California. Just like a regular little mm-hmm. mom and pop. Yeah. Really nothing remarkable about them. <laughs> they owned a daycare. Yeah. In 1983, Judy Johnson reported to the police that her son had been sodomized by her estranged husband and McMartin preschool teacher Ray Bucky. Would you pronounce his last name Bucky? Yeah, I was not really thinking that's Bucky or Bucky. No, Bucky, Bucky. I would say. I don't know how her estranged husband got like kind of tied into this, but they like, are they friends? That's yeah, I'm not or quite it just sure. Like, separately, this is happening at the same time. I think it was perhaps separately, so but this is mental health crises. Yeah, people are gonna, having like yeah, yeah, we'll get into okay. it. So Ray Bucky was the grandson of the school founder Virginia McMartin. Um, Judy believed that her son was abused because he started having painful bowel movements, which is like a very normal thing for like a preschooler to have because yeah, like all they're eating normal. is like cheese and yeah, pyro booty. Also because like they're learning how to potty train yeah, and they, they become constipated. constipated. Right. It's Especially literally... in the 80s. Like what were they eating? <laughs> what was the plate we talked about? Like, <laughs> Low 13, fat cottage cheese. slices of bread. <laughs> So in several interviews with the young boy, you know, the, the little boy that her son, he both confirmed and denied that any abuse t- had taken place. Like, in How one- old was he? I'm sorry. Did you say? Or not? Um, I mean, he's in daycare. He, he was has in to preschool. Be- so under five. Yes. Yeah. Three so probably, to like, five, three or, probably. probably like three or four. Yeah. Three to five. It's I would real, say. I mean, they don't really give terrible, much info on the child. Easy. I mean, you'll see. Yeah. We'll yes. get into why it was like people were like, hmm. Um, so he was interviewed multiple times and he, and one, he was like, would describe some sort of abuse. And another one, he'd be like, no, nothing happened at all. So mm-hmm. it was very um, inconsistent. And he made a couple, so Judy made a lot of accusations that he said a couple different things. Like one of the things that he said was that Ray flew through the air. So like very nonspecific and just something an odd child would say. Also, um, Peggy drilled a child under the arms was another thing that he kept continually saying. What? Um, like, yeah, I don't know. Peggy was one of the other workers. Like okay. she worked there. She, they, she got indicted on some things. Like she was brought into this as well. But again, like not really anything concrete and yeah. like just, you could spin that into anything you could kind of. Yeah. That's so weird. That's yeah. A weird statement. Very weird. And then she also said that several people at the daycare were having sexual encounters with animals in front of the children. 
So these were kind of like the main accusations. So this woman just comes out of nowhere to the police and says, my son is having painful bowel movements and said that Ray flew through the air. Peggy drilled a child under the arms and that they're having sex with animals. And the cops were like, uh. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to laugh, but like, what the fuck? But this was also a time where all of a sudden we were listening to children. Yes. There was literally this notion that like kids could not lie. So if they said something, it was Bible. Like there was this, like there was no notion that like kids can be like, make shit up and just mm -hmm. say what the hell they're thinking. And so there was this like, well, if they said that this is happening, then okay, we have to do something about it. Um, so they questioned Ray Bucky, but he was not prosecuted due to the lack of evidence. They were like, Hey, did you fly through the air and like do anything? And he was like, no, I just work here. <laughs> like, I fucking wish I could fly there. <laughs> so this is where it goes off the fucking hinge. The police <laughs> sent a letter to 200 parents of the students at the McMartin school stating that their child may have been abused and asking the parents to question their children. And I'm going to read you this letter. I just want everybody. What? I want everybody okay. to just. I'm sorry. A cab. What the fuck were police doing? <laughs> Could you. I mean, this is where I'm like truly unhinged. Like, I don't know where. Could you where imagine I'm... being a police officer being like. Hmm. <laughs> they questioned. Um. Okay. The kid, the mom came in with this like fucking crazy should accusation. We, do you think we should just. Send a letter to like a lot of parents being like, hey, listen you're, to the thing that you're the most afraid of, second mm -hmm. most afraid of thing happening to your child, like besides being murdered. Yes. So I'm going to read you this letter. If you are not a parent, I want you to just pretend you are. If you are a parent, like just imagine getting this letter. Okay. So it says, dear parent, this department is conducting a criminal criminal investigation involving child molester Ray Bucky, an employee of Virginia McMartin's preschool. Was He was arrested on September 7th, 1983 by this department. The following procedure, cheap of thought. Yes. So they're giving credence to the yes. accusations by saying he was arrested. Yes. Like they're saying, they literally describe him as child molester. <laughs> I didn't even get that. I just <laughs> Yeah. The first sentence is, we're conducting a criminal investigation involving child molester no. Ray Bucky. Oh. <laughs> okay. So okay. from Sorry, the get. Um, the yeah, following yes. procedure is obviously an unpleasant one, but to protect the rights of your children as well as the rights of the accused, this inquiry is necessary for the accused child molester that we stated previously <laughs> in our previous sentence. <laughs> Records indicate that your child has been or is currently a student at the preschool. We are asking your assistance in this continuing investigation. Please question your child to see if he or she has been a witness to any crime or if he or she has been a victim. Our investigation indicates that possible criminal acts include. Oral oh sex, God. fondling of genitals, buttocks or chest area, and sodomy, possibly committed under the pretense of, quote, taking the child's temperature. Also, photos may have been taken of your child without their clothing. Any information from your child regarding ever having seen Ray Bucky, Bucky leave a classroom alone with a child during nap period um, or any other time where Ray Bucky may have tied up a child is important. And then it ends. I, there is no evidence to indicate that the management of Virginia McMartin's preschool has any knowledge of this situation and no detrimental information concerning the operation of the school has been discovered during this investigation. Also, there are no other employee in the school is under inv investigation for any criminal act. I mean, like, are we fucking kidding okay, me? Okay, here's the thing. If you worked with someone and they were doing those kind of things, like... <laughs> aggressively to children not just like one child whatever okay 
not not to say whatever about one child, but to be like, hey, there's like a wide swath of children that's happening to you. Like, either you also are in, involved in it or it's not happening. Like, I mean, like, just, there's so many. Also, I, this is so, there are so many problems with this. Like, I cannot even begin to, like, dissect it. Like, they're basically giving you all the information in yes, this letter. Yes, it's not just like, hey, like, I don't, I mean, it's. It's not appropriate to be like, hey, but I mean, maybe like them being like, hey, there's an incident that's happened at school. A parent has made some claims. And we'd like you to ask your children if anything unusual, literally, that's yes. it. Has anything out Might of the like, ordinary. May is included, like <laughs> ABCD, EFG, FYZ. Yes. Because then you have it in your head, like. Did anybody stick anything over your butt at school today? Or like create and kids are like, uh, what? Like it's just like it's oh, so it's inflammatory. So oh my and god, it's so, so terrible. I mean, and yeah. then like of course if you like, can you imagine getting that letter? Can you imagine getting that letter? And you're like, but okay, but like if it happened, you just have to tell me. If you have like, I'm like, are you for this? Like, and, and like I've definitely been that parent, and like where if I know something's going on at school, I'm like, okay. So for example, like Emerson had two kids in her class who like vomited recently. And I was like, literally yes. for like three days, I was like, are you feeling sick? But do you feel sick? Like, does your stomach hurt at all? Yes, like, does it like, feel okay, different? But then, okay. But like, also but like, if, how, where did they vomit? Like, did they vomit close yes. to you? Did they vomit? Like, do you know that they vomited? Or are you guessing? Like, I was yes. obsessively asking her questions. And finally she was like, mom, I feel fine. Like, leave me alone. But I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, so Oh my if I just God. didn't know, if I, like she would never have. T- anyway, it's just like I that's a bad example, but it's one of those things where if you have it in your head that something is happening, yes, you're asking the leading question. Especially something. It's not just like, like, like tell me the gossip of your classroom. Like, yeah, this is something that's incredibly devastating to yes. think about. And like, I don't know. You would hope that. I know it was a different time. I mean, my kids and we have like a very open dialogue yes. now with our children. I think it's like yes. more the norm now to have like 100%. that kind of open dialogue and to speak to your kids. It was not 30 years ago. Right. Maybe it was a different time where you weren't necessarily 30? being. Wait, almost 40. <laughs> Wait, what was this? This was in 1983. Take a break. No, take a break. I'm almost 40. <laughs> nope. Rachel, sit up. You're good. You're going to be okay. Stop. Don't fall on the ground. Okay. Yeah, I watched the Bake Off. <laughs> this is why you're watching Bake Off, isn't it? It's the approaching 40. Oh my God. Okay, God. okay. So several hundred children were then interviewed by the Children's Institute International, a Los Angeles-based abuse therapy clinic. Mm-hmm. So the interviewing techniques they used during this investigation of the allegations were highly suggestive and invited children to pretend or speculate about suspected events. So after these interviews were complete, it was said that 360 children were abused. Wait. So they interviewed all the children. I thought you said there was like 200 people. I know. They they like expanded. I guess it was like. They're like, but I know a person. Yeah, I'm sure it just got out of hand. Um, They had doctors perform physical. There is no fucking possible way that 300 kids. No. Okay. Yes. Sorry. They had doctors (laughs) perform physical exams on the children, and one of the doctors performing the exams claims she saw minute anal scarring, which is indicative of abuse. Which, when you're performing, like, my knowledge as a nurse, I know when you come in, if there's a suspect for any sort of sexual abuse, they do do a genital and pelvic exam. Yeah. Um, You can see scarring and bruising around the anus, which can be indicative of abuse. Um. But it's, I'm, at I'm this, assuming that's taken in conjunction with, like, other stuff. 
Correct. And at this time when they were performing these exams, there was no baseline of what like a child's anus looked like. Like we now know like enough. There's like pictures in medical books and things like as weird as it sounds like of well, the child's anus. It is important when well, it looks because, like a baseline. Okay. I mean, a child like that also like like children that age like are exploring their own genitalia. Like right. they are they might be having diaper rashes. Right. Like there are ways that there was to explain this way, but like the only reason that that area would have trauma is not only sexual abuse. Yeah. There was also in here, um, one of the doctors described like when she took like a Q-tip and like prodded around the anus, it would like pucker or like do like a little like flex. She's like, oh, that's indicative of abuse. And now it's like, no, like that's a normal response. Like if you like poke someone's saying, asshole, like it's gonna to twitch a little bit. My asshole. I'm like, ah. like, what are you even talking about? Like, do you even have a personal asshole that's like sensitive? Like, I'm sorry. I have an impersonal asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you have an asshole? Is the question. <laughs> um, so again, like in when they later reviewed all these interviews, it was evident that the questioning method was super suggestive, highly coercive leading to many false accusations mm-hmm. from the children. Um, so many believe that this style of questioning that they use can lead to false memory syndrome, which is what they call it now, like among because the you're, children. Yes, because you're planting that. Yes, you're yeah. kind of planting it. And again, like, I mean, you can see with like kids, I mean, I could definitely be like, hey, did you guys see? 100%. And they're like, uh-huh. Like, mm-hmm. they will definitely, and that's something I've learned kind of like, instead of being like, yes. did you hit your brother? I'll be like, what did you do to your brother? Yes. Because you'll get a more honest answer yes. as opposed to being like, well, did you hit her? yeah no like well what did you do to her like i i pushed her like you'll get if you're giving them the answer in the question that's what they're gonna say i also feel like there's a lot of the information there about like our memories and like how memory can be altered like we feel like memory is very fact-based and it's not right yeah i mean the more you learn about i mean i remember in high school we had this um really cool like we were all sitting in class and all of a sudden a couple students ran in they took stuff off the teacher's desk like purposely caused like a ruckus Uh and then they interviewed all of us and to kind of prove a point like what is your memory and there was so many different variations of what the person was wearing what did they take off the teacher's desk teacher was that because that teacher was definitely a Um cab (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was so it's one of like the things i definitely remember from high school and it really makes me think now i'm like when i'm remembering something i'm like wait remember like Yes. I was of the group that was like, they were wearing a red striped shirt and they walked in in like a pink shirt. And I'm like, yeah. okay, like I remembered it incorrectly. Um, so even despite the highly coercive nature of the interviews, many of the children were reluctant and even resistant giving this illicit disclosure. So even with this highly coercive yeah. questioning, the kids were still like, uh, uh, no, they were like, but did it though? Yeah. And it also came out that they were giving them praise when they gave them certain of answers. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the recordings of these int- of these interviews were instrumental to the jury's refusal to convict, but by demonstrating how children could be coerced into giving vivid and dramatic testimonies without having experienced actual abuse. Yeah. Um, so here's some of the things that were heard or seen on the recordings. Children claimed to have seen witches fly. They said they traveled in a hot air balloon and were taken through tunnels. <laughs> they were shown series of photographs by one of the lawyers, and one of the children identified actor Chuck Norris as one of the abusers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. This is so nice. It's just so ridiculous. It's so crazy. Right. Chuck Norris. Walker, <clears throat> Texas Ranger. 
abusive. <laughs> the children claimed much of the abuse took place in secret tunnels under the preschool. They did extensive investigation on the grounds of the school and turned up exactly zero underground tunnels. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there was like some weird plumbing that was like tunnels, but like too small for people. But they were like, ah, we told you. People were like, no, these were literally for pipes. <laughs> um, the children claim that they were flushed down toilets to secret rooms where the abuse occurred. I mean, this is like the most Harry Potter shit it's ever. Harry Potter. I know, right? <laughs> Some yes, of the children just all—it's oh, just so yes. outlandish and just like so not realistic. Meanwhile, well, okay. So some of the children confessed to a game called Naked Movie Stars, where they were allegedly photographed naked. During trial testimony, the children stated that the naked movie star was actually a game that they had made up, which was a rhyming, which was a rhyming game that was used to taunt and tease other children. They would sing, what do you, what you say is what you are. You're a naked movie star and had nothing to do with being taken photos of them naked. (laughs) I know. So So Judy Johnson, this is the person who originally made the claims. She made bizarre and impossible statements about Ray Bucky, including that he could fly. She, as you had predicted earlier, had a history of mental illness, yes. including schizophrenia. Yes. I mean, yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Am Come I in. a therapist? <laughs> Are you a therapist? Am I a therapist? You're a great British Bake Off therapist. <laughs> Am I going to marry my, my your therapist? Marry great British Bake Off? Um, the information, this information about her was withheld from the defense, along with the information that Judy's son did not actually pick out Ray Bucky in a series of photographs. So, like, completely discredited. Um, one of the original prosecutors, like, literally up and left the case in a form of protest due to how much info was withheld from the defense. Like, it was a very crooked, like, case to begin mm-hmm. with, and the way they dealt with it in court was was atrocious. So there was two trials conducted for the McMurrin preschool case. The first lasted from July 13th, 1987 to January 18th, 1990, while the second lasted from May 7th, 1990 to July 1990. So on March 22nd, 1984, Virginia McMartin, Peggy McMartin, Ray Bucky, Ray's sister, Peggy Ann Bucky, and teachers Mary Ann Jackson, Betty Rader, and Babette Spittler were charged with 115 counts of abuse, later expanded to 321 counts of child abuse involving 48 children. Damn. Like big, big allegations towards this. This That's like terrible, very I mean, like unsuspecting like I also family. Feel like it doesn't matter what the outcome is if someone has any of these allegations. Oh my them, gosh, just ruin their lives. Yeah, it's dunzo. It's just horrid what happened to them. Um. So the children's testimony. T- the children's testimony during the preliminary hearings was, of course, inconsistent. Michelle Smith and Lawrence Pasner, our friends from Michelle Remembers, mm. met with the parents and children mm. involving in the case and were believed by the initial prosecutor to have influenced the child's testimony. So again, like uh, yeah. continuing to be toxic all the way through this. Yes. Um, in 1986, the DA Ira Reiner called the, the evidence incredibly weak and dropped all the charges against Virginia McMartin, Peggy and Bucky, Marianne Jackson, Betty Rader and Babette Spittler. Peggy Martin, Bucky, and Ray Bucky remained in custody awaiting trial. So this, these poor people are sitting in jail during yeah. all of this. Uh, like, yeah. yeah. Because they probably had like very, very high bail. Yeah. Or were, were well, they were, yeah. I don't think they even had, I don't think they yeah. posted bail. Um, the first trial opened on July 13th, 1987. It goes on for so long. So long. It's so fucking long to do this shit. So on January 18th, 1990, after three oh years of testimony gosh. and nine weeks of deliberation what? by the jury, 
Peggy McMartin Bucky was acquitted on all accounts. Ray Bucky was cleared of 52 of 65 counts <sighs> and freed finally on bail after more than five fucking years in jail. Maggie! I know. No. So he was later retried on six of the 13 counts, which he was not acquitted in the first trial. The second trial opened on May 7th of 1990 and resulted in another hung jury on July 27th, 1990. The prosecution then gave up trying to obtain a conviction and the case was closed with all charges against Ray Bucky dismissed. Yes. He had been jailed for five years without ever oh being convicted god. of any crime. Oh my god. Just horrid. Horrible. Just his whole, his fucking life was just ripped out of his hands for no reason whatsoever. Because this one fucking woman had like a mental breakdown. And the fact that it went... And, okay, so, as you can imagine, there was a ton of media coverage uh, on this. Yes. It yes. was sensational news. This was also the time where everybody was watching the same news. Yes, there's not. Now there's, like, a lot of news. <laughs> there's, like, a lot of news. This is when everybody was watching the same oh news. Oh, my God. And the coverage was highly skewed in the, prosecu- the prosecutor's course. favor, right? Like, this because... was the big story. This guy, Ray yes. Bucky, was made out to be this yes. fucking satanic monster. Like, oh and this God. is when you get, like, the true, like, satanic panic, right? Now people were like, oh, my God, look at this one little daycare in California. No, like, in one could place, it be in my happened. school? And so parents everywhere were, like, having a fucking fit. So... The case lasted seven years and cost $15 million. It is still what? the longest and most expensive <gasps> criminal case in the history of the United States legal system. More which ultimately the OJ trial? I mean, this was what Wikipedia had to say today, so I guess. <laughs> and it ultimately re- resulted in no convictions. So, of course, the McMartin... Thank fucking God! <laughs> yeah, could you imagine? It's actually a miracle that nobody is, like, still sitting in jail for this right now. Like, given how fucking fucked up this whole thing was. I cannot. I just feel like I'm going to rub a layer of skin off my face. <laughs> I know. You're how heavy face rubbing. I can't. I just can't. I can't. You know, it's so bad. I just bad. can't take this in. It's terrible. You know. So the McMartin preschool was closed and the building was dismantled literally so they could like look for like underground tunnels. Like they basically leveled this place. Just be like, oh, they said there was a hot air balloon and like tunnels and they got flushed on toilets. And yeah. So here's a quote from one of the children years later after the case was over. This child said, quote, never did anyone do anything to me and I never saw them doing anything. I said a lot of things that didn't happen. I lied. Anytime I would. It's not even lying. Like this is not even lying. Like they were being, well, he yes. says later, anytime I would give them an answer that they didn't like, they would yes. ask again and encourage me to give the answer that they were looking for. Yes. I felt uncomfortable and a little ashamed that I was being dishonest. But at the same time, being the person that I was, whatever my parents wanted yes. me to do, I would do. 100%. Like, lying is not the word to use for that. That is like And that this poor child is taking on all of this, this guilt. this is someone that's literally exactly our age. Yeah. Like, if this yeah. was, ha- like. Yeah, this was in, like, the early yes. 1980s. Like, they're this probably our like age now. just a little older. Yeah, but perhaps yes. a little older. Someone that we could be friends with. Right. Yeah. Oh, God. If you're out there listening to this, <laughs> be our friend. <laughs> so, Judy Johnson, the woman who made the original claims, was diagnosed with and hospitalized for acute paranoia schizophrenia. Yes. And she died in. No fucking away. shit. And in 1986, she was found dead in her home from complications of chronic alcoholism. So clearly, she was a very unwell, unwell. self-medicated person. And I think that, you know, this clearly was a manifestation of her mental illness. And she had, like, suggested into probably through this book and through this, like... She read the book. She probably had... This cultural conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So some good did come out of this case. 
So after the investigation into the McMartin charges began, all of a sudden, massive amounts of funds were being dumped into research regarding child sexual abuse. Okay. Um, notably through the budget allocated to the National Center on Child Abuse and Neglect, the agency's budget increased from $1.8 million to $7.2 million between 1983 and 1984, and increased to $15 million by 1985. Good. So, like, like, yes. I mean, this is, like, I mean, part of the problem with it is, like, this is actually a problem. Like, this is something that happens, like, horribly every day. Yeah. And a lot of people just, like, are were not or are not yeah. acknowledging it. Well, it's not happening in a satanic cult. It's, like, no. happening in your house. Well, household. that's, like, kind of what I, I – I, we'll get into Sorry. it later. Okay. But a lot of the time, <laughs> like, during this period of time, so much energy and, like, police work and – social work was being put into this satanic panic. Mm -hmm. People with these allegations were coming out and it was taking away from actual child abuse cases and sexual abuse cases because there was just only a finite amount of social workers and a finite amount of people who were uh, able to look into. And especially at this time, there probably wasn't as much as even there is now. Oh, for sure. And And now it's not even enough. There's not even enough now. And at this time, like if you think about it, you know, yeah. Mm. Hmm. So shortly after the McMartin charges, the McMartin charges came along. More than a hundred preschools across the country became the subject of similar sensational allegations. So this is kind of at the time where you literally start to hear the yeah. satanic panic yeah. because there was hundreds of repeating school, and repeating, yeah, repeating. hundreds of schools. People were like coming home asking their kids every single day, "Did anybody touch you?" This and yeah. that. Um, so in 1985, Patricia Pauling joined forces with psychiatrist Tomic. Radek, director of the National Coalition on Television Violence, to create BADD. Bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I'm bothered. I'm bothered by Dungeons and Dragons. The most benign thing I can think of. So they saw, so BADD saw role playing games, generally Dungeons and Dragons, specifically as satanic cult recruitment tools, oh inducing God, <laughs> inducing youth to suicide, murder, and satanic ritual abuse. Other allegations or other alleged recruitment tools included heavy metal music, yeah, child care centers, and of course everything we're seeing on television. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were sharing this information at policing and public awareness sem- seminars on crime against the occult. Sometimes by active police officers. Like, this was, like, a whole fucking thing. Um, None of these allegations were ever true. No! Literally not a single one. (laughs) In fact, analysts of youth suicide over the period in question found that role-playing gamers actually had a much lower rate of suicide than the average because Because they, like, had found their people. Yes, they're like, like, oh, you like this too? It's not just me. It's not just me who likes to do this. So in 1987, Geraldo Rivera produced a nationalized television special on the alleged secret cults, claiming, quote, estimates are that there are over one million Satanists in the United States, and they are linked in a highly organized secretive network. Uh, Fuck Geraldo. Mm -hmm. In general. He's an asshole, too. Mm -hmm. Taping of this and similar talk show episodes were subsequently used by religious fundamentalists, psychotherapists, social workers, and police to promote the idea that a conspiracy of Satanic cults existed and these cults were committing serious crimes. Oh, my God. So in 1990, psychologist Dr. Cordon Hammond publicized a detailed theory of ritual abuse drawn from hypnotherapy sessions with his patients, alleging that they were victims of a worldwide conspiracy organized of secretive clandestine cells who used torture, 
mind control, and ritual abuse to create alternate personalities that could be, quote, activated with code words. Mm. The victims were allegedly trained as assassins. They were trained as assassins, prostitutes, <laughs> drug traffickers, and child sex workers. Oh, you know, assassins and prostitutes, <laughs> the same thing. It just reminds me of that um, uh, Austin Powers episode. Where, was it Austin Powers movie? Where he was like the trained assassin. Isn't that... Mm. Is he a trained assassin in those movies? Wait. Oh, no, no wait. It was it National Spy. Oh, my God. No, it was not Austin Powers. It was um, Zoolander. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry, got my weird 90s movies Just mixed like, up yeah. mm-hmm. where he was like the trained assassins mm-hmm. where they were like, do you like the models or whatever? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. You guys all watch that. So Hammond claimed his patients had revealed this conspiracy was mastermind by a Jewish doctor in Nazi Germany. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But who now worked for the know. CIA with a goal of worldwide domination by well, satanic to be fair, cult. a lot of <laughs> yeah. Nazi doctors did work for the US government. I do believe that is true. Conspiracy oh my God. So Hammond's claim gained considerable attention since he was a very well-known doctor in the field of of hypnosis and psychotherapy. Um, So in 1987, a list of indicators were published by Catherine Gould, which featured an array of vague symptoms that were ultimately common, nonspecific, and subjective, um, purported to be capable of diagnosing satanic ritual abuse in most young children. So kind of being like, is your child constipated? Are they like having nightmares? Do they get into bed at night? Like basically the constipation is all the (laughs) satanic abuse. Are you? Maybe. Um, So by the late 1980s, allegations began to appear throughout the whole world, including Canada, Mm -hmm. Australia, the UK, like, basically, it was worldwide yeah, now. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. like, had left America and had reached all of the <laughs> yes. other places. Um, all of the other places all besides of America. <laughs> you know. Whatever they are. <coughs> Wait, apparently we have people listening now in the UK. Ah, uh, yes. And in yes, Canada. I saw that. I'm very, very hello, high. Hello, my UKers <laughs> and Canadians. How do you like it? <laughs> Say hello. Um, or people are, like, on weird VPNs. Right? <laughs> That's also... I'm so impressed you know the term VPN. Virtual. I don't know what it means. I just am impressed you actually just. Public? I don't know. No, Mm -hmm. private. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Okay. The opposite of public. Thank you. I know. I'm like literally a granny. just threw that out there. I did. I'm an IT person. (laughs) Fully not. (laughs) Excuse me. Okay. So belief in satanic ritual abuse spread rapidly through the ranks of mental health professionals as well mm-hmm. um, through a variety. So they were having like educational seminars where the people were like literally coming and sh- telling other doctors, like how to get people to admit to being in like these satanic cults. Um, so proof was provided in the form of like unconnected bits of information, such as pictures drawn by patients when they were in these hypnotic states. Um they were literally like showing them pictures of like heavy metal album covers while they were like in hypnosis to be like, is this what you saw? And they were like, yeah. Um, that's it. That's Metallica. It. Seriously. I don't know any other heavy metal bands. Me neither. Is Metallica even heavy metal? I feel like it's yes. like pop metal. No. No. I think, think so? Metallica fans will murder you for oh, saying that. Oh my God. I don't even know. I'm sorry, guys. They're heavy metal, aren't they? No, I was like listening no, to like Hanson when Metallica was No, I don't, like, I don't like Metallica. It's not for me. But okay. they're heavy metal, right? Okay, so media coverage for the satanic ritual abuse began to turn negative by 1987, and the panic ended between 1992 and 1995. It took a really long time. Yeah, it was unfortunately a long time. Yeah, like this a was a really thing. long time. Yeah. So in 1995, Geraldo Rivera, 
issued an apology for his 1987 television special, which had focused on the alleged cults. Mm -hmm. Um, By 2003, allegations of ritual abuse were met with great skepticism and belief in satanic ritual abuse was no longer considered mainstream in professional circles. Yeah. Um, No one was denying that child sexual abuse was a thing. Like, don't get that confused. It was just that there was nothing in the name of satanic ritual abuse was happening. Um, up to this point in the allegations, it had literally never been proven that it was no. anything to do with like a satanic ritual. Many critics of this moral panic claim that while everybody was so obsessed with satanic ritual abuse, as we said earlier, real cases of physical yeah. and sexual abuse were not getting the attention that they needed, even though all this money was being dumped into it, yeah. which was ultimately like a, a good lot. thing. Yeah. Um, it just was kind of the focus of it was on the wrong thing. <sighs> because I feel like we want, you don't want it to be happening inside the house, right? It was kind of a way for, yes, it was kind of a way for people to deflect it away from the men that because were doing most, it. Like, because most, most children are abused by someone they know. Correct. Yeah. And it was happening within the household by yes. either a family member or a friend, neighbor, yeah. or a friend of the family, someone that was someone trusted in the by church, family. somebody yeah. who was like a trusted member of the family. Right. So to all of a sudden be like, oh no, it's happening. Yeah. It's easy to be like, this is yeah. not happening here. It's happening there. Right. Exactly. Um, so sadly, we still have some remnants of this panic happening today. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Is it Pizzagate? The right-wing conspiracy theory theme movement known as QAnon. Boo! Boo! Pizzagate! 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 originated in... Just so somebody's going to isolate me saying, Pizzagate! 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 I'd be like, she's a QAnon member. No. <laughs> You're not. I would like to say here and now, I profoundly reject QAnon. <laughs> So, I mean, a lot of the same yeah, ideas are totally. you see in the QAnon, like, sphere, right? Like, the satanic ritual abuse. Yes. Um, you know, this panic that there is high-ranking government, yes. you know, officials, they're, like, being portrayed as Satanists and that they're, mm-hmm. they're doing this. Um, they basically switched it instead of saying it's daycare workers, it's liberal Hollywood actors, yes. Democratic politicians, and... Mm-hmm. So it kind of reminds me like how you kind of tied the welfare queens mm-hmm. into kind of the today mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. rhetoric we see around folks who yeah. use welfare. You can kind of see 100%. how the satanic panic has given yes. us the building blocks to form the QAnon sphere. There is a woman I follow on TikTok who is, I cannot remember her TikTok name. Let's see if I can find it. She's very great. She was sex trafficked as a teen by, I think, oh, a wow. boyfriend. Um, which is how it happens quite a bit. Yeah. So she, her whole platform is about like sex trafficking and whatever. Right. Not and whatever. It's just a dismissive way to talk about it. But you know what I mean? I, I know. What you mean. So she has all these qanon people who are like, well, why are we worrying about children dying from COVID? Right. When all these people are being sex trafficked. And she's like, guess what? You can care about both things at yeah, once. It's not exclusive. And like other. you saying, why are we caring about this thing and bringing up sex trafficking? She's like, you're telling me right now you don't actually give a fuck about those children. Yeah. You're using those victims of an yeah. actual terrible horrible horrific lifelong devastating thing yeah to bring up your own fucking bullshit yeah yeah it's true like you can't it's not they're not mutually exclusive right like you can be like yes children are dying from covid and they're being sex trafficked it doesn't have to be one or the other also like and it's way not to go on a covid rant like Death is not the only thing that happens with COVID. Like right. long-term complications happen or like maybe your kid's fine, but like they're bringing it home to their grandparents that they're fucking killing. Right. And what is the devastation around that? So like I'm very angry right now and like ready to get a big man about COVID. 
I'm like a huge big man. <laughs> I'm big man about COVID too. So I know not to, I mean, but like, you know what I mean? It's all just like, it's just a way, I don't know. It's just like a way to separate yourself from it. And like, I feel like that's so much we've talked about these last few weeks, like really yeah. is what connected the connected yeah. tissue between like the last few. So we talked about, it's like this way to be like, this is not my problem. Yeah. This is not something I have to worry about. Right. Yeah. This is someone else. Yeah, for sure. Is everybody okay? No. How's everybody doing? I think I need to go watch Bake Off. <laughs> I know I'm gonna go watch Shit's Creek. Okay. I think I, I might... you're making fun of me for watching Bake Off. Okay. I did watch I did watch Shit's Creek last night. <laughs> Wait, which episode did you watch? Um I watched the baseball one. I watched the the, the Blast Barn one. The oh. first one they go, which is why like, the I like brought it up. <laughs> He's I watched like, the baseball. They're doing the like the Devil Wears Prada. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Have you seen the Devil Wears Prada? <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> I don't remember. We're watching that. Yes. Okay. Last so night. yeah, I'm in a Shit's Creek rewatch. So well, I watched a little of that, and then but I've been watching. I mean, Bake Off is on again, so I was like sort of like mm. I'm watching the new episodes, but then I'll be like, mm. you have to justify it to me. I know. <laughs> you know I've only your... seen this episode seven times. <laughs> Here's Xanax. It truly is. Oh man, guys. So, okay. All right. Let's well, take a quick break from back. that that happy. Mine was like, I feel like mine was a sad one too. I, I Wasn't thought, that a funny episode? Did anybody even laugh? I laughed like we literally. <laughs> I'm sorry. I need to like I'm gonna put it at the end of the episode. Are you okay? gonna do it? I'll do it. I'll put it at the end of the episode. We just laughed for literally trying to record and laugh for um, over a minute straight. Just <laughs> well, Rachel Maggie... went to like play. She's like, are you ready? I was like, yes. And then she hit record and I had like a little secret burp. <laughs> it was not secret because I saw it and heard it. <laughs> and then we could not stop laughing. Like two kids in church, like trying to like hold their so, giggles in. Like, and we were in both crying. Oh my God. It was okay. a minute and we had to stop and like gather our. So I'll ourselves. put that at the very end of the episode. If you need a little, um, you need a little serotonin boost. <laughs> Or if you like, I mean, I guess if you're still listening to this podcast, you like listening to us laugh at each other, right? Oh, God. Oh God. My chin. It's all gone. It's all gone. I know. If you've heard aloud. <laughs> yeah, Rachel's done her gin drink. I'm still working well, on mine. Well, there you go. Because you were chit-chatting. I was talking. chatting about the safe time of panic. I, thank you for letting me do this episode. I, well, listen, we just needed to figure out how it worked into this. Yes. And I think it worked out perfectly. Personally, I loved it. When so I first you. like came up with the idea of like we should do like a parenting history podcast, I remember thinking like I want to talk about this satanic you panic. Did, I don't know we've had it on the list, but it was like one of those things where I was like, yes, but I don't know how to make that work. Yeah, no. and like I said, I think doing the mystery episode last week opened like when we started talking about it. Be like, okay, we don't have to like stick to a subject. Like yeah. we can come up with sort of like figure out where we land. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. Yeah, I think that as long um, as we have, like, I'll, I think it's, I feel like the last two weeks you've gotten like more laughs. I, am I depressed? I think maybe I'm depressed. <laughs> Is this where we're going to talk about this? Because last week we literally sobbed the whole I time. I, I know. And now we like been laughing a lot. Yes. It's like, but the, like, and then this, I, I don't know. <laughs> so, okay, wait, so we'll come back. Wait, wait, yeah, okay. Let's take a break. Let's go. Let's go away. Hi, everybody. Okay, so. You're still with us? Yes. Apparently. So next week, what are we going to do? We're going to talk about adoption. I hope I can not just bring it to a terrible place again. I'm gonna, I need to find the, like, the... I'm going to... I was going to look into 
I kind of want to find like one specific. I, I want to deep dive. Okay. So I we'll haven't really it quite figured out, but I do want to hash out what it needs to yeah, be. Yeah, we'll hash it out. I'm excited for this episode because I think that it's, I have adoption in my family. Yeah. You've adoption in your extended family. I do. And yeah. so I think it's, um, yeah, I'm really interested in it. So I'm excited yeah. to see where we go with it. Hopefully you'll come back for more after the last two weeks of our little, our little difference of what we've done. But yes. um, I've really enjoyed it. Yes. Rachel, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I just love staring. having so much fun. I with love you. staring at you across a children's furniture. What is this? With a blanket. IKEA. Yes, it's an IKEA cube furniture. Yes, with a, my um, my anniversary Beautiful. blanket draped it over it. <laughs> We're really upgraded our situation. I'm sitting in a big person so. chair. I don't know my back hurts, but I'm an old. No, person. I feel great. As Leo called me. A nine-year-old. Rude. So. Hi, Kate Rude. All right, okay. guys. Well, we love you, Granny. Yes. Rate, review, subscribe. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. We love you. Uh, Go to the TikTok. Oh, yeah. We have a TikTok. Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, yes. Very famous TikTok. TikTok. Like us on TikTok. Comment us on TikTok. Make me do one more viral video. My <laughs> other videos. I swear to God. I you have had almost half a million views on that one video. Girl. On both. That, those two videos. Oh, but really? They're all about toys. Yeah. The problem is I did those. I did videos about condoms. Mm. And I feel like TikTok don't like my videos about condoms. Yeah. They they, they did And the, birth control. Yeah. They banned us. They shadow banned Rude. your root videos. Well, Rude. we love you guys. You know, little tiny grannies. I love TikTok so much. But rude. <laughs> Say anything mean about TikTok. We love it. Overlord. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Bye. Special thanks to Keith Griman for his artwork and Avery Davis for his music. Thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Okay, go. Say it. Your grandparents. Um. Did